welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 201. We'll continue in the book of Job with a brief summary of chapters 8 through 11 and follow with some thoughts about real friendships. Job wrapped the previous episode pondering about the offense he supposedly perpetrated and how it must have been so serious because it demanded such a disproportionate response, which, I guess, silenced Eliphaz the Tamanite because chapter 8 begins with Bildad the Shuhite, the second of three friends that came to provide consolation. He, too, can't process what Eov is saying. Quote, would God pervert justice? Would Shaddai pervert what is right? For Bildad, the answer is clearly no, and he goes on to explain how. Quote, if your children offended him, he dispatched them because of their crime. If you yourself sought out El and pleaded to Shaddai, if you were honest and pure, by now he would rouse himself for you and would make your righteous home whole. Damn! And how does Bildad know this with such certainty? He enlists two parables. The first about the life of a wicked man who is like a papyrus sprout with no marsh or someone who leans on a house made of spider webs. And the second parable is about the life of the righteous man who is, quote, moist in the sun and his tendrils push out in his garden. For Bildad, the message is clear, quote, look, God will not spurn the blameless, nor hold the hand of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with a shout of joy. Your foes will be clothed in disgrace and the tent of your wicked gone. Eov replies in chapter 9 with a stinging rebuke that at first seems like meek agreement. Quote, of course, I knew it was so. How can man be right before God? Should a person bring grievance against him, he will not answer one of a thousand. Because... God is not interested in hearing the matters of one person. God, quote, makes the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the south wind's chambers. And when push comes to shove, even if God hears the pleas of a mere mortal, quote, who can tell him what do you do? Because it's not clear to Eov what he did to merit the kind of punishment that rained down on his head. And so, quote, should I call out and he answer me? I would not trust him to heed my voice. Who for a hair would crush me and make my wounds many for naught? And what's worse, God's arbitrariness applies to everyone. Quote, it's all the same. And so I thought, the blameless and the wicked he destroys. And what's more, worse than that, even if one could confront God and seek remedy, there's no judge that could hear the case fairly. Quote, I will be guilty. Why should I toil in vain? But Eov will not give up. Quote, would there were an arbiter between us who could lay his hand on us both, who could take from me his rod and his terror would not confound me. I would speak and I would not fear him, for that is not the way I am. Eov continues in chapter 10, but this time rather than appeal to his fellow humans, he turns his attention to God, and he puts God on blast. Quote, Is it good for you to oppress, to spurn your own palm's labor, and on the counsel of the wicked to shine? He continues, Quote, Are your days like a mortal's days, your years like the years of a man, that you should search out my crime and inquire for my offense? In other words, don't you have anything better to do as the all-powerful, but mess around with one human that you know is innocent? 
And finally, Eov asks, quote, Your hands fashioned me and made me, and then you turn around and destroy me. Because for Eov, this has been his experience, God as a relentless pursuer, wreaking ruin on Eov for no apparent reason. Quote, If I was guilty, alas for me. And though innocent, I could not raise my head, sated with shame and surfeited with disgrace. It is for this reason that Eov sinks into deep despair, preferring non-existence to living. Quote, As though I had not been, I would be. From belly to grave, I'd be carried. My days are but few. Let me be. Chapter 11 brings us the reply of Tsofar the Namatite, and he's had enough of Eov's tirade against God. What he brings is fire, not consolation. Quote, your lies may silence folk, you mock and no one protests. Tsofar speaks and stands up for God, putting Eov in his place. Quote, can you find what God has probed? Can you find Shaddai's last end? Higher than heaven, what can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? God knows better, despite what Eov claims about himself. And the solution to the current predicament is clear. Quote, if you yourself readied your heart and spread out your palms to him, if there is wrongdoing in your hand, remove it. Let no mischief dwell in your tents, for then you will raise your face unstained. You will be steadfast and will not fear. Friends premiered on NBC in September 1994 and ran for 10 full seasons. It won six Emmy Awards and a handful of other awards no one's ever heard of. At the height of its run on network television, its cast members earned a million dollars per episode. Many, many women wanted Rachel's haircut. I guess that's an indicator about how popular and prestigious that TV series was. In other words, it was a big deal in the late 1990s. And when the series wrapped in 2004, it was heralded by a handful of mainstream critics as one of the best TV shows in the 90s and aughts. Time magazine included it in its list of the 100 best TV shows of all time. How you doing? In the third decade of the 21st century, we no longer flock to appointment television. We have streaming services that deliver entertainment on demand. And we still have friends in its entirety, from the one where Monica gets a roommate to, quote-unquote, the last one, 235 episodes later. And folks are still watching it. Netflix paid $100 million to continue licensing the program. That's 16 episodes worth of cast salary to delay Warner Media's reclaiming Friends for themselves until December 31st, 2019. Friends is available on HBO Max and Crave as of December 31st, 2020. But why all the hullabaloo and hype? What is it about these six white cisgender heterosexuals living in impossibly large yet affordable New York City apartments who seem to have countless hours each day to hang out in a West Village independent coffee shop that's so interesting? Perhaps it's the improbability yet durable relationships between the characters. Rachel and siblings Ross and Monica grew up together. Chandler and Ross were friends from university. But would that have been enough to cement these friendships? They don't work together or share the same general affinities. And then you have Joey, whom Chandler met by way of a roommate-seeking ad in a time before Craigslist. And Phoebe apparently connected with Monica the same way. And the outcome was the same for both pairs. 
lifelong friendships. I can't believe we live here. Perhaps it's a yearning for a simpler time in a period of recent history that is largely recognizable to us, yet different in significant ways. There were no smartphones, no push notifications, no social media demanding relentless content, no racial unrest or intrusive political issues, no global pandemics. What you have are six adults with the time and the desire to hang out in a coffee shop and with each other. Even the extras are hanging out. Central Perk has no Wi-Fi. Nothing terrible really happens to any of them, and they will pair off or try to in various combinations. Having siblings in the mix definitely limits the possibilities. But there's also the mean-spirited homophobic, transphobic, and fatphobic bits and barbs. Ross is a bit stalkery with Rachel and weird with women in general. He definitely would have been me too'd for sure after his dalliance with his student, Elizabeth Stevens. Oh, and there's the blinding whiteness. <laughs> well, it was the mid-90s after all, and I guess in its day it had a faint veneer of progressiveness. Rachel, after all, resisted the call of the patriarchy and its demand that she be a suburban housewife. Monica was a driven, independent, ambitious woman. Phoebe defied norms. Carol, Ross's ex-wife, and Susan, her life partner, were probably the only recurring gay characters in a sitcom at the time. They also had stories about same-sex marriage, infertility, adoption, surrogacy, and single parenthood. Although I don't think anyone who thought of groundbreaking progressive TV in the 90s would immediately think of Friends. I mean, in the end... Rachel sacrifices her career to return to Ross and raise their daughter together. Monica and Chandler get the babies they longed for and move to the suburbs. Phoebe has married Mike. Only Joey is still single, but that was to provide dating fodder for the Joey spinoff. So there's been some talk about canceling friends because of these missteps and tone deafness, but I doubt it. The pull of those Gen X friendships will overwhelm any such grumblings, because of the show's central conceit, friendship. In a time when more people, especially young people, are feeling increasingly anxious and lonely, seeing adult friends who love nothing more than to be with each other face-to-face -face is a soothing, almost universal balm. And these friendships are represented as the best kind. There are no parents or spouses when the series began in 1994, just each other. Through all the bad relationships, hookups, questionable career moves, Weddings, divorces, babies, and parental fallouts, the six characters on Friends were there for each other, even as some pairings moved from platonic to romantic and back again. We were on the break! <laughs> but at no point did one of these friends, say Chandler, sit Ross down and say to him, Dude, you're being creepy with women. Cut it out. <laughs> That's a different sitcom. And it's one of those painful moments that many friendships face when friend one is, say, about to make a decision that friend two thinks is a terrible idea. Will friend two say what needs to be said and put the friendship at risk? So far is, I guess, the youngest of the three friends that came to console Eov. How you doing? He seems to be the loose canonist of the three, or the most direct, as Eliphaz and Bildad talked around the issue which they believe to be at the heart of Eov's problems. Perhaps Eliphaz and Bildad hoped that Eov would eventually connect the dots, but when he didn't, Sofar stepped up and put it to him straight. He just broke my fridge! <laughs> 
And the thing is, under normal circumstances, we might side with so far. After all, when a friend needs help, you help him. But we know something that so far doesn't know. We read the frame story. We know Eov is innocent, a pawn in the chess match between God and the adversary. As such, we also know so far is... Over the line? You, you, you're, you're so far past the line that you can't even see the line. The line is a dot to you. <laughs> and yet there is one thing that so far says that rings true nonetheless. Quote, Can you find what God has probed? Can you find Shaddai's last end? Higher than heaven, what can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? What does Eov really know? What can he really know? Is he smarter than God? More insightful and more thorough? Spoilers, but God says something similar to Eov out of the whirlwind later in chapter 38. But, but here's the difference. Where God says to Eov, what do you know about the inner workings of God? Question mark. So far says, you don't know anything about the inner workings of God, period. But I do. And I know that if you're suffering, it's because you sinned, because that's how God works. Everyone knows that. You know! And you know! Yeah, I know! If only Tsofar had been a little bit more humble about his own understanding, or perhaps more understanding of his friend, he might have been able to spare his friend a little pain. Or perhaps Tsofar just doesn't measure up. Perhaps he isn't a real friend to Eov in the way that Phoebe is supportive and sensitive, or loyal as Rachel, or sincere as Joey, or practical and caring as Monica. Today, spread the word about Tanakhcast. Tell a friend about Tanakhcast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to Tanakhcast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 202 when we continue in the book of Job with chapters 12 through 15.